You're listening to the AAF Analyzed Podcast with your host, Derek Hyde and Garrett Lay. Welcome back to AAF Analyze. It's episode 19, and although the league is suspended, our podcast is far from it. We're still here. As always, I'm Derek Hyde, and alongside me, Garrett Lay. Before we get started, do not forget that ratings do, in fact, still matter. Mm -hmm. If you're on YouTube, make sure you like and subscribe. If you're on SoundCloud, like and give us a follow. And subscribe and leave us a review on our Apple Podcast page as well. And don't forget to keep following us on Twitter at AFAnalyze to keep up with the latest news and episode release announcements. Because trust me, there's still a lot of news out there. Yeah, there's plenty of stuff to talk about. The league's done, but the players from the league aren't done. We're going to talk about those guys who are getting signed and getting contracts. As a matter of fact, we might even maybe give a mid-NFL season review and talk about how those players are doing, if any of them make rosters. That could be pretty cool. We might have some interviews coming up where we can learn the ins and outs of the AAF now that people are free to talk about it because it has been shut down. So there's still a ton of stuff to talk about, even if nobody else cares. Derek and I still are very interested So we're going to talk about it, and we're going to record ourselves doing that. We're going to run this thing till the wheels fall off. We will. Also, if you follow us on Twitter, Derek and I are thinking of coming out with maybe some new podcast ideas under our G&D Productions mantle. So if you're interested in listening listening to us ramble on about other things, uh, you can also stay tuned to find out about those. But most importantly, we still owe Orca Coolers a couple episodes on our sponsorship. So let's get a word from them, Orca Coolers. You can still show off your AAF team pride with Orca Coolers, though now they're pretty much collector's items. So I'd probably focus on the NFL, NHL, MLB, and NCAA team logo merchandise that's also available. Um, They have their chasers and rocket string wheel wear that will make you the hit of any tailgate for any sport, except for the AAF. You can take your new Orca appliances to the stadium for the tailgate, or even use them while you're watching from your house, but you just aren't watching the AAF. Orca coolers, drinkware, and apparel are available online at orcacoolers.com. That is O-R-C-A coolers.com. And you can still use our promo code AAFANALYZED in all caps and no spaces for free shipping when you place your order online for those cups that are NFL, NHL, MLB, and NCAA team logoed. Whether or not they're AAF, they're still fantastic things to have. And I highly recommend you still get them, even if you're not going to get them for the I'm AAF. using my I'm using my University of Pittsburgh chaser right now to stay hydrated. So yeah, I yeah, believe you can use it for anything. Our sponsor, Orca Coolers, is slowly but surely taking all the AF stuff off <laughs> of their website. They still have the cups, though. There's no more coolers. The cups are honestly probably the best deal out there, though. So make sure you go over, check them out, and get yourself a cup if you want a really nice and very practical collector's item. Yeah, and be quite fun to have that forever. Um, well, now let's move on to the meat of the episode, and that is the collapse of the AAF. This was actually pretty sad, and I feel really bad for all of the players, all of the workers, all of the coaches involved. There were a lot of people who had a lot of money riding on this. 
They had their welfare involved in this. So I really, my heart goes out to them. I know people are making jokes about it, and some of them are pretty funny, but it is, as a matter of fact, pretty serious. I mean, people lost jobs over this. So as funny as it can be, you do have to think about the people who are involved. So I really do feel terrible about all that. It really sucked for everybody, and I'm hoping it really starts sucking for Tom Dudon, Dundon, how do you pronounce his name? I don't even care. I don't even care. Um, But Tom Dundon, because it looks like he might get sued, uh, which would be really cool for the AAF because he really he really screwed them over. So we all know the story. Week two, he invested two hundred fifty million dollars into the program, became the lead owner and the majority share owner of the alliance, and sadly pulled out just a couple days ago and left us where we are now. But it's unfortunate, but the AF is not completely dead. There's still a lot of things to go on, but it's going to be an awkward return to business if things do try and get back to where they once were. Yeah, we talked about it on the Sports Hangover. You can check out that episode on um, iTunes and the Sports Hangover, and we also linked it on our Twitter where we talk about a little bit about our conspiracy theory with maybe some of the NHL owners pitching in money for... Uh, Dundon to buy it because of the technology behind the Alliance app because it's really really great stuff that the Alliance had going on with their app in terms of gambling and player tracking and then the NHL announced that they were going to have a new gambling system and player tracking system for next season so that was really suspicious so it'll be interesting to see how that all shapes out legally so we will be covering that here as well but we would like to cover something real quick before we get into the collapse of the AAF, and that would be the final game prediction records. Uh, Derek is slowly clapping to himself because he did, in fact, win. Yes, I did with the inevitable league ending sooner. It works out for me because that means I am the champion of picking <laughs> Alliance of American huh? Football games. Final record for me. Forever. 21 and 11. I'm 10 games over 500, Garrett. It doesn't get much better than that. And you finished three games behind me, of course, at 19 and 13. Now, I would like to thank my parents, the media, (laughs) everyone for getting me to this position in my career. And even though the season came to a close early, I am the undeniable champion of picking AAF (sighs) games. And Mm -hmm. as far as I am aware, I'm the greatest game picker in the world. And that is a title I will wear very proudly. Until someone can prove me otherwise, I am the world champion of picking AAF games. Yeah, all right. Well, now that we've heard all that from Derek, um, I hope he feels good forever. I feel great. Uh, I'm particularly angry with the league collapsing because now I'm forever a loser. Yes, you are. That kind of sucks. I need to get myself a world champion t-shirt. Yes, you do. All right, now that we've heard Derek gloat for 45 seconds, we can move on to what everybody came here to listen to, and that is what the heck more. happened. You could, or we can move on to what the heck happened to the AAF. So it was a mess, uh, as we know. It came out of it kind of came out of nowhere, really, for the players in terms of how the announcement went. It didn't really come out of nowhere in terms of people speculating that the league would collapse, but yeah. it was really a mess. Players just, they were still practicing when people on social media knew that the league had been dissolved. They didn't even tell the players or the coaches who were on the field getting ready for next week's game that the league was over. So they handled it pretty much as poorly as humanly possible. Yeah, that's an understatement. Uh, Anthony Manzo Lewis, 
the fullback for the Express, had tweeted out that, quote, unorganized is an understatement. We got kicked out of our rooms that apparently were not paid for, 17 hours away from my home with a car full of my belongings and nowhere to go. And then he put hashtag join the Alliance and made sure to tag ESPN, the Express, the AF, Charlie Ebersol, Tom Dundon, and of course, Bleacher Report. Luckily for him though, Brandon Silver's offered to let him stay at his Airbnb for a little while, so Manzo Lewis does have a place to go, but it's not courtesy of the AAF, it's courtesy of the bonds he made through the alliance. Yeah, and then another player here, Taiwan Jones, he had literally dropped, he tweeted out, quote, literally dropped everything I had going on and just signed an AAF contract yesterday at 9 p.m. and was excited to go back to doing what I loved. And then in less than 24 hours, the league is canceled, yet it's about the players. I'm sick. This was really crazy to me. The fact that they would let him sign a contract less than 24 hours before the league was about to go down because somebody had to know that that was what was going to happen. You would think. But I guess not. It's all very strange. Um, Like we said, it went on in probably the worst way possible. So if we want to go through here, we have a list of some stuff about the actual collapse. Um, Like we just said, players in Memphis came back to their hotel rooms after the news came down and had their personal items waiting in the lobby. They were totally kicked out of their lodgings. They didn't even take their stuff out of the rooms themselves. It was removed for them, which is not a good look at all. Apparently, money is still owed by the AAF to vendors and venues. In San Antonio, the training camp debt right now is over $4 million. They haven't paid for that yet. Yep. We also broke on the sports hangover that the Apollos apparently were not paying for Spectrum Stadium in Orlando either, yeah. and that's nearly put UCF out of nearly a million dollars as well. Things aren't looking too hot there either. I mean, you gotta you gotta wonder why did UCF let them use the stadium if they weren't getting paid up front anyway? Exactly. But that's on more on UCF and less on the AAF there. But also, reserve and injured players, they'll have to pay for their own rehab and medical expenses. That's really bad. Mm-hmm. That's probably some of the worst news I've heard out of this. Um, cause Especially with it, the large amount of injuries coming out of the Alliance. It's very upsetting because one of the things that they were promised were very good health care. And it doesn't seem that they're going to be getting that. And that's just, it really upsets me and makes me angry that they're leaving these players in the dark that gave up everything for them. Yeah, it's, they got injured while making the AAF money, which just is ridiculous uh, for me to you know try to comprehend that these guys will be left to pay their own medical bills. They weren't even getting paid that much. Um, now, apparently, in their last checks, their last game checks the week before it folded, there was a $900 bonus in there that was labeled as for travel, which nobody knew what that was actually for, what for travel meant, but it's pretty obvious what that meant now. So somebody knew that something was happening, and they just didn't tell anybody. Um, The lack of communication, I mean, the AAF was built on the fact that they were willing to communicate with the players and fans, but it doesn't really feel like that anymore. Yeah, it's just incredibly frustrating that things like that are happening and just... I don't even know what to say anymore. Yeah, we have, it says, high-level staff at the team level received emails from, quote, the board. No one received a termination notice from an actual person. So it wasn't even a message from Bill Polian or Charlie Ebersole. It was just from an entity called the board. 
Team-level staff members were asked to stay behind in markets to clean out office spaces without pay and handle refunds. No clarity who will be receiving those refunds or where that money's going, but it's a complete mess. Yeah, um, we were talking about a couple of players' stories earlier. Adrian Robinson, who was a, an express player, had tweeted out that he woke up to over $2,500 uh, charge pending on his account from the hotel that the team was staying in. He called the bank and the Memphis team president, and his only option is to dispute the charges uh, on Monday. And the same thing happened to a lot of other players on the team. It's just incredibly frustrating, and they have no idea what to do. Yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't even make sense because you don't know who to blame. Because yeah. Charlie Ebersole and Bill Polian have said almost nothing about it. The AAF has released an official statement apologizing, but it didn't feel that sincere. It wasn't even that long. Um, Tom, D- Tom Dundon has said l- literally nothing. He's had no words about it. I don't know who else, like Heinz Ward was working on it, Justin Tuck. No one has said anything. So it's all very, my- it's almost mysterious. Like it's something you can be angry about and you want to blame somebody for, but it's really just a mystery to me right now because uh-huh. there's no information about who this, whose shoulders this falls on. Yeah, and you want to talk about stuff like that. Um, the final point we have here, uh, all of this was treated up by Rich Orenberger on Twitter. Uh, he said that team-level staff members were asked to stay behind at their team place of facility to help clean out the office spaces they're not getting paid to do that and they're supposed to handle refunds and there's no clarity on who will be receiving those refunds in the first place so it's just very strange and quite frankly i don't know if they got anyone to go clean those out because i would be so upset that i couldn't even do that yeah um and then finally here about the collapse darren Ravel tweeted out a poll Uh, They got 21,000 votes on Twitter, and he asked, who do you blame for the AAF's downfall? He had Ebersol and Polian, Tom Dundon, spring football, like the idea of spring football, or the NFL and the NFLPA. 17% of people blamed Ebersol and Polian. 36% of people blamed blamed Tom Dundon. 22% blamed the entire concept of spring football as a whole. And 25% of people blamed the NFL and the NFLPA. Um, I don't really agree with blaming the NFL or the NFLPA. They are their own separate thing. Their concerns about injury were, I think, legitimate. Mm -hmm. Um, Ebersole and Polian, I I love those guys, but I just think maybe they deserved a little bit more blame because they claimed that they had enough money to make this league run three years, and then all of a sudden um, they take one investment and it totally collapses. Plus, it seems like they might have given Tom Dundon almost complete control of the AAF because he was able to get out with the technology for the app and pretty much completely dissolve the league after one buy-in payment. So that doesn't really make any sense. I do agree with Tom Dundon taking most of the blame because he just seems like he might be the worst person ever. Um, and the Carolina Hurricanes are now my one of my least favorite hockey teams. <laughs> but yeah, yeah it's, it was... it's definitely frustrating. Um. Honestly, the thing about that poll that I found so surprising is over 21,000 people voted, and there's not really a clear winner here. Obviously, Tom Dundon has 11% more of the votes than NFLPA, which would be number two, but it's pretty evenly split for the most part because no one really knows what's going on. No one knows who to blame, but all you know is Dundon pulled out the money, so people are going to blame him. Yeah, that's why if this podcast becomes anything else, it's going to be really more an investigative podcast. I'm trying to figure out what the heck happened. Yeah, I'd love to get player 
yeah. and personnel to kind of figure out what they saw and whether or not there's things that they could share, whether or not there's things they saw that they kind of expected the end coming, if there were differences when certain things were going down. And I'm just interested at this point. Yeah, well, before we move on to some of the more positive parts about the AAF, we are going to have a little celebration part here where we talk about some of our season awards, uh, unfortunately, which weren't even full season awards, but our eight-week awards uh, for who we thought were some of the best players in the AAF. But before we get to do that, we'd like to now pause for a word from our sponsor, Orca Coolers. Show off your sports fandom with Orca Coolers and Drinkware. They are the best coolers and insulated drinkware on the market. Orca Coolers, team-logoed coolers, and insulated chasers and rockets drinkware will make you the hit of the tailgate. Integrated insulation ensures maximum ice-cold retention and freshness of your stowed items for up to 10 days in those coolers. Orca Coolers are the real deal. You can check them out at orcacoolers.com, O-R-C-A-Coolers.com. Of course, you can get your NFL, NHL, MLB, and NCAA team logo merchandise, though please don't buy any Carolina Hurricanes merchandise. Um, Orca Coolers is still extending a special offer just to our listeners. Enter code AAFANALYZE in all caps and no spaces for free shipping when you place your order. Yep, there's one last thing I wanted to mention about the Carolina Hurricanes and Tom Dundon before we move on to positive notes is about a week or two before the eventual collapse of the Alliance, Charlie Ebersol did in fact go on the Rich Eisen show, which is a... it's a show aired all across the country, all about sports. And he talked about how Tom Dundon changed the alliance a lot. But obviously this was before the collapse and the suspension, so he's not saying anything bad. But whenever Dundon came in, he took it over, he made it his own, and he's like, this is what we're doing. We're doing this, this, and this. Ebersol and Polian, you guys aren't going to do too much. I got it down. Just trust me. This is the way we're running this. And suddenly... The things he saw it as a vast improvement, but the way we're looking at it now, I don't know if those changes were the right way to go. Yeah, it really feels like an extremely hostile takeover. Like I said, I do put a little bit of blame on Ebersole and Polian for giving Dundon that much power. I guess they needed the money, but they said they were funded for three years, so I don't know if they underestimated how expensive mm-hmm. the league was going to be or what, and just really needed that money and were willing to do anything to get it. But it just really is an unfortunate circumstance all around. Like we said, we will keep you absolutely updated with all of the new information that we learn. And we are going to try to have some people on the show to talk about the ins and outs of the AAF to see maybe what went wrong. And again, but like the thing with the money that I want to bring up again is people say that the Alliance was in trouble two weeks in. And I'm still not giving that to them because obviously Dundon gave $250 million the second week in, but... If they had trouble making payroll, do you really think $250 million is what's going to pay payroll for eight teams? No. That's more than three seasons worth of payroll. Like, 250 is just vastly too much for them. That just be the sole thing that he was paying for, and it's just kind of weird to look at now. Mm-hmm. It's all very, very strange. But you know what isn't strange? The fact that the play in the AAF was excellent. We saw some great football players perform, and as a matter of fact, NFL teams saw some great football players perform too, so we'll talk about the guys who are getting signed and getting looked at in a little bit. But we would like to close out the first and probably last season of the AAF with some of our season awards. So, first of all, we'd like to give out a top special teams player for the year, 
and both Derek and I came to a consensus on all of these votes because we thought it would be nice to give out AAF-wide MVP votes here. So we decided on Nick Rose as our top special teams player, the kicker for the San Antonio Commanders. Yep, huge congratulations goes out to Nick Rose for winning AAF Special Teams Player of the Year or of Eternity, the way you of look Eternity. At it. Yeah, the best. He's the best special teams player in AAF history. This is true. Um, we are also doing a couple of other players nominated for the award. We had a uh, Young Way Koo, who of course was also fourteen of fourteen, yeah. and Elliot Fry, who was also fourteen of fourteen. Uh, Koo, obviously kicker for the Legends, and Fry was the kicker for the Apollos. The thing that really kind of stuck Nick Rose out more is he had a long of 54 yards, and he was hitting more field goals from farther out as compared to Fry and Koo, who had a much closer long uh, career long. Yeah, Nick Rose looked like he had a leg ready to go back to the NFL. So that was good for him. Yeah. Wait, did you see the video on Twitter of him yeah. attempting 80-yard yes. field goals now? Yeah, it was insane. He was – I can't rem- – did he make one or was it like he was really, really close? I think he kicked it into the end zone on the fly from 80. Yeah. I don't think he made it through the post. Cause that so he was online. So this dude has a rocket for a leg. Um, yeah. And he was, it wasn't like he was just chucking balls like down towards the goalpost. Like it landed in the middle of the goalpost in the end zone. Yeah. So like it would have been probably good from like 70 yards, which was yeah. just ridiculous. We'll go through workouts later, but that was during a workout with the Bears. And we all know they've had some kicking issues as yes. of late. So we might be seeing Nick Rose in the NFL roster come next year, and he could be the highest paid player from the AAF next season, which would be a really cool thing to look at. Um, all right, so our next season award was for do- top defensive lineman, and we gave this to a pretty obvious pick here, and that was Carter Schult. He was dominant all year long. He ended up second in the league in sacks, but that was pretty much because teams learned that the only way to stop him was to double-team him. So um, they didn't have that great of a rusher on the other side of the ball so Carter Schultz pretty much got locked up with those double teams but that didn't change the fact that he was a dominant player um, pretty much on every snap he applied pressure all the time second place for this award was Demontre Moore who I think led the AAF in terms of pressures but he had Uh help on that defensive line in terms of rushing but Carter Schultz was really the powerhouse rusher for the Stallions and he was one of the marquee players for the AAF. Yeah, both players had fantastic seasons on their respective defensive lines. Demontre Moore and Carter Schultz both had seven sacks. Moore had more QB hits, four passes defense, and two forced fumbles. But the thing that we really decided put Carter Schultz over the top for us was he was the main guy in Salt Lake. And once he got double teamed, his stats kind of went downhill, but that just opened up more for the rest of his team. He still ended up with a very respectable 21 QB hits. I believe he led defensive linemen in tackles at 25, and he Mm -hmm. had 13 tackles for loss. Carter Schultz was just a beast, and I expect him to be in an NFL jersey sometime soon. Absolutely. Now, uh, staying on the defensive side of the ball, we have our top linebacker, and that was Demarcus Gates. Gates was the leader in tackles for the AAF in terms of linebackers, And he was just a monster every week. He, of course, had a punt blocked. He had a couple forced fumbles. And having uh, the head coach of Mike Singletary certainly helped his play. Yeah, it's undeniable. He led the league in tackles, not by a little, but 
He had six more than number two in our runner-up for the award, Benitez Brown from Birmingham. And it just, he had more tackles for loss than him. He was just, he also had five forced fumbles through eight weeks yes, of play. that was a lot. Just an incredible feat. Another guy we don't have written down, but I want to give a huge shout out to is J. Roan Elliott, the linebacker from San Antonio. He had seven and a half sacks. That would be the lead in the AAF out of the linebacker position. He also had 13 QB hits and four forced fumbles himself, but we're just going to go back and Demarcus Gates will be the winner of that award. Yes, he will. Uh, now, to round out the defensive and special teams side of the awards, we have our top secondary player, and that was Keith Riazor. He was an absolute lockdown force for the Apollos in that secondary. He was far and above the best cornerback in the league. He allowed a ridiculous uh, passer rating when targeted. I think it was below 30, which is just insane. Um, he had four, I think four picks, three picks, something like that. Um, great numbers from Riazor, so we gave him the award. Yeah, Reeser was definitely one of the best corners in the league. He had 10 passes defended, three interceptions, and still 12 tackles to go along with that. So definitely an impressive feat. There were a lot of really good defensive backs in the AAF, though, and I believe there's already been a couple that have been signed to contracts, and I'm sure we haven't seen the end of that quite yet. Some like Devontae Bowsby, who also had 10 pass defenses, and he had four interceptions himself. Will Davis had 14 pass defenses through eight weeks of play. Jamar Summers, another guy with 10. And I could go on and on with how good these corners were. But the runner-up for best secondary player was not a corner, but a safety. We had Tyson Graham Jr., the safety out of Atlanta. And had he not gotten injured, I think that he definitely could have won the award because yes. he was leading the alliance in tackles through, what was it, the first five or six weeks. He was, yeah. He was a beast back there. He's a hard hitter. He's a mm -hmm. scary dude. Yeah, so had he not gotten injured, I think he could have been much more seriously considered for the award. But Keith Reeser just has to be the one that we give it to. Yep. Now we can move on to the offensive side of the ball. And our top wide receiver for the year may be a little bit of a surprise, but both Derek and I decided on Rashad Ross as being our number one wide receiver. People might be up in arms about this. Charles Johnson did have the better stats in terms of yardage, but uh, our argument was Charles Johnson had Jalen Marshall on the other side of him. So... Mm -hmm. Um, the other team's corners couldn't focus purely on him, but Rashad Ross was pretty much all that the Hot Shots passing game had, and it turned out he was really all that they needed. Yeah, the big thing that I want to look at is, basically, we talked about how injuries kind of affected teams, and Rashad Ross, I was the one who kind of convinced you to bring Rashad yes. Ross into the top wide receiver consideration, because... He was the one getting double-teamed for Arizona constantly. Charles Johnson, if you look at pure yardage from wide receivers, there are four Orlando wide receivers before you get to number two on Arizona, and that would be Richard Mullaney. Obviously, they had an injury to Josh Huff earlier in the mm -hmm. season, the hot shots, which kind of hurt their stats there. But Rashad Ross was a beast week in and week out, and despite the injuries that he was plagued with, he was still catching five or six balls a game even though it hurt him that badly. He's just a beast, and I had to give the yeah. award to him whether or not you agreed. I agree. No, I, I totally, I do agree. He had that performance where he was injured, and he got up after every single catch and made vital plays for the Hot Shots to give them the win. 
So I think in terms of heart for the game and everything, Rashad Ross takes the cake for wide receivers. Now we have running backs. This one was a little harder, I think. No. Um, no, you don't think it was harder. I think it was harder just purely in terms of efficiency as a runner, though I guess Trent Richardson was much more efficient than the guy I had in second place. But yes, our top running back for the year was Trent Richardson. This one should be pretty obvious considering the massive number of touchdowns he had, and he definitely picked up his ability to be more of just a touchdown, more than just a touchdown machine, and actually move the ball as the league closed out. But yes, we have Trent Richardson being the top running back for the year. Yeah, I don't understand how you could have thought that was close. Dearness Johnson only had uh, six more rushing yards than Trent Richardson. Johnson obviously had a lot less carries because he wasn't the undeniable starter for Orlando throughout the whole season, but Trent Richardson had 11 touchdowns. Put that into perspective, there were eight games in the season, and number two on this list had six, and that would be Joel Buano, and just... I think those are some incredible stats that you have to give respect to. And Trent Richardson wins it just out of the pure bulk of carries he got. Yeah, the only reason I had Dearness Johnson in the conversation is because he averaged a whopping 5.8 yards per carry on the season, which is a lot. Um, So in terms of touchdowns, yes, he wasn't that great. In terms of yards, he was only ahead of Richardson by a few, but his yards per carry were just massive. That You could also probably attribute that to just the offense that Mm -hmm. he was playing in. If you give him more carries, I feel like he could have put up the numbers that would have convinced me, but it just didn't go that way, and unfortunately for him, I'm going to have to go with Richardson by a landslide. All right, well, a quarterback where there should be really no debate uh, for who the top quarterback is, and that is Garrett Gilbert. Uh, Sleeping on Johnny Manziel, I see. Yes, I'm sleeping hard on Johnny Manziel. Yeah, there's just no debate here. It's got to be Garrett Gilbert, and number two, personally, would have to be John Wolford in my eyes. Even though he had that slump in the middle of the season, it just had to go with Gilbert. Gilbert had the most completions in the alliance. He had an over 60% completion rating. He was the only quarterback to throw for over 2,000 yards. Had 13 touchdowns. He only threw three picks. And I believe there wasn't a single game in the alliance where he threw for less than 200 yards. And that is a feat in itself. And he's got to give, the, he's got to get that award in my eyes 10 times out of 10. All right, and we have a couple other awards here besides um, player awards. And first we have Best Fan Base. That is a pretty obvious one, and that's going to the Commanders. They showed out uh, week in and week out for their home team when they had home games. So, Commanders, you take the cake as the best mm-hmm. uh, fan base. Was there a single game where the Commanders had under 20,000 fans there? Yeah, I don't think so. I'm pretty Just- sure every game they hit over 20,000. That was incredible, and I hope that either the XFL or the NFL sees that and puts a franchise there because there's some places, cough, cough, San Diego Chargers, that aren't in great places for a fan base, and I think San Antonio definitely deserves something like that, whether that be the Chargers or another team like the Jaguars that could possibly move, but it's I definitely like... San Antonio a lot, and I think that they could support a team, whether that be through expansion or relocation. Absolutely. Um, Here is a pretty big award, and that would be the league champion. So the league champion, uh, FanDuel declared it by paying out bets for anyone who bet that this team would win, and that was the Orlando Apollos. It was pretty obvious. I mean, the hot it or we would have predicted a hot shots Orlando final, and it would have been a good game. But I do still think that the Apollos would have come out on top. 
Yeah, it's just so hard when there's only eight games in the season. But the Apollos were two games up on the number two place team in the Alliance. The Apollos claimed the championship on all of their social media, which they should. And it's just an Orlando thing to claim championships, I guess. But yes. I'm going to agree with them on this one. Even though UCF's is a little bit more controversial, I definitely would give it to the Apollos that they won the Alliance for the one and only year it existed. And speaking of one of the reasons they won the Alliance would be because of their head coach of the year, and that is Steve Spurrier. Honestly, in my opinion, coach. I could have given the head coach of the year to almost all these coaches because mad respect to these dudes for coming in and making some legitimate football uh, and really solid games to watch on TV week in and week out uh, out of pretty much nothing, just coming in there, taking over a team, and coaching pretty much all of them to at least decent success. So I thought that was pretty exciting, but Spurrier for having the best record in the league, he takes the cake as the head coach of the year. I still remember it like it was yesterday, episode one and two. I was talking about how great of a head coach Steve Spurrier would be in the AAF. And man, oh man, did he not disappoint. No, so happy didn't. for him. Walking out of here as a champion. He may not have a trophy to show for it, but he was certainly coach of the year with the team of the year. And of course, walks away with the championship. Good for you, Mr. Spurrier. I congratulate you. Yes, another person who Spurrier coached, who should be congratulated, is our league MVP, and that is, uh, he already has an award, that is Garrett Gilbert. He was dominant every single week. He led the Apollos to that record that they had. Uh, he was just excellent, so he's got to have the league MVP. Yeah, he dominated in every category. Steve Spurrier could do just about anything he wanted to draw up, and Garrett Gilbert would execute it. Also, when you're the quarterback of a team that's 7-1, and one, and your only loss was very close, it just has to give it to that quarterback, and Garrett Gilbert wins league MVP. And unfortunately, I can't send him a trophy, but congratulations. <laughs> um, we have a couple other miscellaneous awards here now. We have an award, Mr. Clutch, and I'm giving that to Young Waku because when the Legends needed him to make a field goal, he made them. Also, he had the first points in Alliance history, as well as I believe the—no, I don't think the last, but the last in Legends history at least— so he started off the league with points, he ended the league with points, and all around he made big kicks when the Legends needed him the most. Yeah, I can agree with that there. Young Waku is definitely one of the players I'll be looking out for to get an NFL contract, and I think it's well-deserved. Yeah, and finally, the other miscellaneous award is Punter of the Year, and that goes to Ryan Winslow from the Memphis Express. He averaged a whopping 47.8 yards per punt, and honestly, one of the most impressive parts of the AAF was their punting. There was mm -hmm. a lot of it, and they were actually really, really good, so congratulations, Ryan. Uh, I have dubbed you Punter of the Year. Actually, Punter of ever for the, the AAF. Greatest so. punter in Alliance football history. Yes forever and always Ryan Winslow. Ryan Winslow. Congratulations, Ryan. Um, yep. So now we have one of the, probably the most exciting thing that has happened since the collapse of the AAF, and that would be AAF players who are getting signed to contracts on NFL teams. There mm -hmm. have been, by our count, uh, they keep happening all the time, so it's actually kind of hard to keep track, but right now we have 16 pretty much confirmed signings. Uh, probably 15 totally confirmed signings, as well as five other meetings that have happened between NFL teams and players. So that is There's really, really cool. There's probably more, but right yes. now we're just at 21 total that we have at, found yeah, out about. At the time of this recording, we have 21 total. 
conversations and signings between players. So first of all is our secondary player of the year, and that is Apollo's cornerback, Keith Riazor. He was one of the very first people to be signed, and he was signed by the Chiefs almost immediately after uh, the AAF went under. I think he was the first person to get signed. Yeah. Yeah, so goes from best secondary player of the Alliance to the first one signed. I'd say that was a pretty successful year, and the AAF is definitely thankful for his service. Next guy on our list would be the top wide receiver award winner, Rashad Ross. The Hotshots wide receiver was signed by the Panthers a couple of minutes after Reeser had gone to the Chiefs. So it looks like these players in the Alliance are really wanted as we will quickly, more quickly, go down the list of players signed. The Commanders cornerback Devontae Bowsby got signed by the Broncos. Iron center J.C. Hassenhauer got signed by the Pittsburgh Steelers. hey And the legend safety Tyson Graham Jr. is expected to sign with the Steelers, which I personally am very excited about. Yes, so am I. Steelers and, fans, you should rejoice. Yep, the safety question could be answered. Keeping down the list, more iron offensive linemen, iron offensive tackle Brandon Green, signed by the Panthers, and iron offensive guard Kit O'Brien was also signed by the Panthers. Dude, Apparently, this Irons offensive line was insane. And the Panthers like, like the AAF, surprisingly, because yes. three out of the first seven signings went to the Panthers. You know, I would just like to say that I think this, um, all these signings is one last you know, victory for the AAF here mm-hmm. because Dundon thought that the AAF wouldn't succeed without NFL-caliber players, but it's pretty obvious that these guys were NFL-caliber players. They're getting signed right now as we speak, which I think is awesome for all the players involved. So I'm glad that the AAF was able to, it wasn't able to accomplish its mission of providing players an opportunity to go to the NFL year in and year out. But at least through even just eight weeks, we have so many players getting signed. And I think that's really awesome. Yep. Continuing to go down the list, league MVP and Apollo's quarterback, Garrett Gilbert is expected to sign with the Cleveland Browns. Apollo's defensive end, Andrew Ankara, signed by the Redskins. And the commander's safety, Deron Smith, got signed by the Vikings, as well as another commander's secondary player, cornerback Duke Thomas, also going to the Vikings. Also, iron cornerback Jack Tocha was signed by the Steelers. The legend center, Parker Collins, was signed once again by the Panthers. Panthers Stallions, they do. Stallions defensive end Chris Odom was signed by the Chiefs. Fleet defensive end Alex Barrett was signed by the Raiders. And fleet defensive end Demontre Moore was signed by the 49ers. So those are the 16 guys who we have either pretty much expected to sign or have confirmed that they have signed with an NFL team. And now we have five teams or five players who have met with NFL teams, which first of all, we have iron quarterback Luis Perez. We talked about uh, how he might have lost some of those NFL offers, but he seems to have gained them back with some pretty excellent play near the end of the season, and he was working out with the Eagles. Mm-hmm. A couple more quarterbacks to go along with that. Memphis quarterback Brandon Silvers has options. He's been working out with the Jets, Vikings, and Jaguars. Hey. So quarterbacks in the AF doing quite well. And to add on to that, Hotshots quarterback John Wolford is also working out with the Vikings. So we could have a little bit of an AAF position battle up hey, in that'd Minneapolis. Be, that'd be fun. Uh, we also have iron linebacker Beniquez Brown. He's working out with the Bengals. And Hotshots center Jacob 
Onis Sorge is working out for the Jaguars. So there you have it. Those are all of the AAF players that we know about currently at the time of this recording, which is Saturday at 3.33 p.m. Eastern Time, if we're trying to keep it accurate here. So I'm sure you can stay tuned in our Twitter or look at some of uh, some of the NFL analysts on Twitter are also reporting on all of these signings. So it's really awesome. I'm really happy for all the guys who are getting signed. Um, I think it's really an awesome opportunity. The one thing that really surprises me, though, is that we haven't seen a kicker get signed yet. And no, that we was kind of what I expected to happen first. Obviously, one of the players we didn't mention here actually was Nick Rose was working out with the Bears. So here's another one to add up to our list. And I think that Rose could easily win the position battle there and make it on the roster. Yeah, I totally agree. Now, before we close out, we'd like to leave you with one more reminder to buy Orca Coolers. Orca Coolers, they're the best coolers and insulated drinkware on the market. Whether you're going to work the stadium, not an AAF stadium, or a tailgate, the Orca Cooler Team Chaser Tumbler will help you get there with an ice cold or piping hot beverage. The Orca Team Chaser's new microplated stainless steel color palette lets you carry your favorite team's color, while the double-walled vacuum-sealed body ensures that your ice will stay frozen and your drink will stay strong. Orca Coolers drinkware and apparel are available online at orcacoolers.com. That is O-R-C-A coolers.com. NFL, NHL, MLB, and NCAA team logo merchandise is also available. And don't forget, our code still works, so enter code AAFANALYZED in all caps and no spaces for free shipping when you place your order online. Yep, make sure you definitely go ahead and do that. There's still a lot of great things happening. We're still selling merchandise for our show. Yes, if you're we still are. interested in getting something that says AAF on it, that'll probably be changing fairly soon when we move on to bigger and better shows. But we're still producing AAF Analyzed, and we're not going away yes. because we ain't done yet. No, we aren't. We refuse to be done. This is not a final farewell. Um, that will come at some point, but not yet. There's still plenty of information that we want to know, that you probably want to know, and there's so much to talk about in terms of the collapse of the AAF. Um, and currently, we're looking at getting maybe a player on as an interview to talk about his time in the AAF, um, how it affected him, and if maybe he saw this collapse coming, and how he dealt with the collapse after it happened. So that'll be a super interesting episode, and you can hear all about when that's going to come out on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and not for the final time, because we're definitely going to have some more episodes. Peace out, and play football. Thank you for listening to the AAF Analyzed Podcast. Follow the show on Twitter at AAF Analyzed, and feel free to contact the show to have your questions featured on a future episode. And don't forget to check out the show on all other platforms, such as iTunes, Overcast, SoundCloud, and YouTube.